Welcome to Wise Up Governance and Boards podcast, brought to you by Three Wise Owls Governance Consultants. Covering hot topics in governance, risk, latest regulatory changes, and issues keeping directors and executives awake at night. Here are your hosts, Ainsley Cunningham and Deb Anderson. Welcome to another episode of Wise Up Governance and Boards. Today we are joined by rugby league legend Steve Renouf. Steve is the Deadly Choices Ambassador for the Institute for Urban Indigenous Health. Steve is a Gungaree and Gubby Gubby man. He holds the record for the most tries for the Broncos, with 142 tries, wow, and was named in the Broncos' 10- and 20-year teams, the 25-year grand final team and the Indigenous team of the century. He played 212 Broncos games, 11 Queensland State of Origin games, nine international Australian rugby league tests and was part of four premiership winning teams for the Broncos. As a Deadly Choices ambassador, Steve is an inspiration and fantastic role model. While he may no longer play football professionally, he still plays plenty of sport and is always keeping active and eating good food. He is a loving father to his five children and openly talks about his life with diabetes, encouraging everyone to make healthy choices. His favourite healthy meal is garlic prawns cooked on the barbie and his favourite exercise is going for a walk. You can follow Steve on Twitter at TheRealPearl03 and Steve's deadly choice is to eat healthy, keep active and keep his diabetes under control. Welcome, Steve. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> like that little intro? Yes, thank <laughs> you. Garlic prawns on the barbie. Oh, I know, like that's that. a bit ex- <laughs> just like, well. <laughs> a bit exciting. I'm on the Gold Coast. Though. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the Deadly Choices program, Steve. Yeah, look, um, Deadly Choices is uh, celebrating its 10 years uh, this year, so we're, we're very uh, fortunate that we are still operating the way we were. And, and Deadly Choices obviously was born out of the Institute for Urban Indigenous Health. We, uh, when we first came together uh, back in 2009, 2010, we, uh, we had to uh, have a community engagement program um, for the community. And... Uh, Ian Lacey and, and Kieran Lander were two uh, young men at the time, and they're still young, they're a bit younger than <laughs> me, but uh, we employed them, uh, brought them on board, uh, to, uh, and they came up with the original idea. So Deadly Choices was born as a, a schools program uh, for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander kids, uh, just around um, healthy lifestyles, so eating the right thing, um, you know, drinking plenty of water and having plenty of sleep and, and all that. So it was reinforcing what would have been taught at school as well, uh, but we specifically target Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids within a school, and uh, and then out of that um, yeah, came this idea that the boys come up with an idea, or, or the group at the time, it wasn't just the boys, and um, that, uh, you know, how about we look at uh, these shirts that we made, the Deadly Choices shirts, you might see them around the place, and uh, why don't we use them in the medical centres, uh, uh, to, to try and um, incentivise people coming for a 715 health check and, and that's where it was born and, and it was so popular um, uh, using that concept and you know along the way we built partnerships to help with that and obviously the first one being uh, you know a partnership with the Brisbane Broncos because our community love rugby league especially up here uh, in the southeast corner so having the Broncos come on board back in 2013 as our first partners in our Deadly Choices program it, it just really uh, lifted the profile of what we were trying to do. So the shirts become very popular, and the only way you can get one of those shirts is, is get a 715 health check. 
So tell us a little bit about what that health check is. Yeah, that health check is just, you know, we have our your normal testing. So it's uh, when, when you go into a clinic, one of our AMSs, uh, you'll have a, uh, you know, uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander nurse um, or health worker will come and, you know, do your blood glucose levels, you know, prick the finger and uh, do your blood pressure. And um, so they're just your general checks when you're coming in for a, for a, uh, to, to see the GP, but a, a 715 health check is obviously a lot more, um, you know, detailed and there's a lot more around it. It's, just, it's, it's your normal health check that you might go to yourselves, uh, to a GP, and uh, so it's just, about that. it's just about the thorough check and what we found, uh, it's around that preventative health. So, you know, a lot of the things we do, everyone, all our programs or community events, uh, to participate in a lot of those, and I'll go through them what they are later. You know, everyone has to get a health check, and, and it's, it's amazing over the years that we found people with underlying conditions they didn't have. Um, you know, a lot, and a lot of those have been diabetes, but there's been heart conditions picked up just by getting a health check. And um, you know, we we have a, a Murray Rugby League carnival where a lot of young um, and and older men still play, and women and, and children. And you know, we've picked up. Uh, diagnosed cases just through those health checks to go into these carnivals uh, where people, if they stepped on the field, they probably wouldn't, you know, it was pretty dangerous from a health point of view that they uh, they actually played. So that's happened over the years a lot. Um, so once again, it's all about preventative health and, and picking up, you know, chronic diseases that, um, you know, people might not know they have. And I think you've been quite open about having diabetes yourself. Yes, Has yeah. that been a catalyst to help you want to help others? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, I was diagnosed when I was 22, uh, virtually at the start of my career. Um, even though I started the Broncos at 17, uh, breaking in the first grade, I think 91, uh, was really my uh, first, oh, you know, full-time uh, in the A grade at the Brisbane Broncos. So, uh, so in then ninety in ninety two or early ninety three I was diagnosed. So so for me um, I had no option. I mean it, I was very lucky that I had a great GPs obviously and specialists here in Brizzy. Um, I always say I was probably lucky, especially back then, being di- uh, diagnosed in a professional sports team because uh, mm. we had access to to the best here in Brizzy. And um, so it was just an option that my GP is still my GP, um, Dr. Peter Friss, and he just said, look, you got you got two options. You either look after your diabetes and carry on with your footy career, which has just started, or uh, you don't and you'll have a short career virtually. And so that was the option. (laughs) So I chose the, the, you know, the... The football career. The the football career, which means I had to look after my diabetes. Yep. That's great to be able to have picked up on that so early and Mm. actually use it as a catalyst for change for you and... Yeah, without a doubt. And so then, really, my lifestyle as a professional rugby league player suited, I say that, uh, uh, suited the diabetes. So I had to have a healthy lifestyle. I had to be active. Um, so, you know, and that, that sort of just meant, you know, they had to test a lot more uh, my blood glucose levels and um, and just monitor it. But it because it, had, I had that discipline there already of being a, a, sport, a professional sports person, uh, that really helped. And you've got some great ambassadors behind you with... Um yeah. This program? Yeah, without a doubt. With Daily Choices, you know, we've, we had Preston Campbell. Uh, he's been on board since, since we first started. Um, you know, we've got uh, Willie Tong has come on board. We've got uh, uh, T- uh, Talisha Harden, uh, who's now um, 
in selected. Oh, well, she's in the Queens. She's played in the Queensland team that won uh, the other week, and she won a premiership with the Brisbane Broncos. And um, you know, Petra Sivnasiva's come on board, and we got Willie Tonga. Uh, you know, he's he's from where I'm from. He's from um, he grew up in Sherberg. I was from Mergen, and um, so Willie's come on board. And you know, we got a whole lot of Brandon Wakeling from down here. He's a he's a uh, weightlifter from the Gold Coast. Yeah. Um, so he's on board as well. And Scott um, Prince, Scotty Prince, yeah. Scotty Prince <laughs> shows his face every now and then. Prince, he, uh, he pops up every now and then. Uh, and uh, Taliqua Clancy. Uh, so Taliqua now, I think, is on the Gold Coast. She's living in Adelaide, but she's a, a Queensland girl. Grew up in Kingaroy. Uh, she's a uh, she's rated as the number one beach volleyball player in the world, and she plays obviously with her, with another partner. But um, you know, she, on the Gold Coast here, not long ago in the Combo Games, I think she got a, a silver medal. I think uh, her and a partner and. Um, so she's come on board too. That's really good that it's um, branching into even other sports and that as well now. Yeah, as well, well. We, we talk about our part. I spoke earlier about our Broncoship partnership, and that's been very, very important. Our partnership is very important to what we do. So, started obviously with the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, we went to other the other Queensland rugby league teams. Uh, we've got a you know we've got a, a few teams in in Sydney. Uh, obviously, North Queensland, Gold Coast, and Gold Coast have been great. And um, uh, then this year, we formalised a partnership with uh, the Queensland Firebirds, uh, so that was really good. And then Taliqua Clancy came on board as as a uh, you know Olympian, um, so we, we we're very happy with that. And Brandon Wakeling and his weightlifting, uh, mm. so they they're both targeted to to do the Tokyo Olympics. Let's hope they keep uh, will go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and it's so nice to see some really amazing role models for mm-hmm. the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community as well. So that um, you know, kids going through school have got some amazing role models to aspire to. And yeah, without a doubt. And you know, as I said, it, we started out just with a, a school program, and that still rolls on. So you know, we're we're in a lot of schools uh, here in Queensland, obviously, and across the state. So. Uh, when we first started, we were the Institute for Urban Digital Health, but obviously Deadly Choices, uh, you know, we then, uh, the, the uh, Queensland State Government were very happy with what was being done within, Dead, within Deadly Choices. So we, we got funding to do a rollout, statewide rollout of Deadly Choices as well. So, and that's been going really well. So once you pass the health check, how does Deadly Choices work? Well, it, outside of that, so as I said, Deadly Choices is a is a program. So we have a lot of other programs around Deadly Choices as well. Um, one of the original ones was our Work It Out program. So that was targeting elders, I think 50 plus patients. Um, and it, it, it's such, it's probably been one of my favourite programs outside of Deadly Choices because um, we had elderly uh, through our different um, uh, medical centres. Uh, so we have exercise physiologists. Uh, so the guys would get, um, you know, the patients or, or our community, the elders would get referred to the program. So we'd have about a group of 15 or 20. Uh, they get to work out at a gym, all under uh, the watchful eye of our exercise physiologists. And um, and then there'd also be a, a, a education part of that, where after we did our gym, uh, we'd then go into a room and we'd talk about a specific subject around health, you know, whether that be diabetes, di- you know, bring a dietitian in or bring in a... Um, uh, a diabetes nurse or expert to talk to them about uh, different conditions. Um, so that changed uh, every few weeks who we had in, and it, it was just a nice to say to them like, that program's probably going nine years now. Uh, Deadly Choice, as I said, is ten years old this year. So that work, that specific program, is, is a second running 
uh, longest running program we have. And uh, I used to always say to them, because they're all my, all the old aunties and that. And, um, I used to love, you know, I love going along and, and chatting to them. And uh, I said, you're the most educated elders in the country uh, around and around health. And that, it, it very much is so true. That's So that's what Deadly Choice does bring to the community is about, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, 10 years, we have young kids. So we do Deadly Kindies. Um, you know, we, we do work closely with mums um, and bubs clinics and program where um, you know encouraging mums and this is a this is a really another good one that I love that um, you know uh, going full term um, for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander mums uh, was something you know it's uh, they never you know there's a lot of underlying uh, problems there and they might not always do on the full term so mm. our mums and bub has really turned that around so the young and I say young the young mums we brought into the clinic uh, to help them through the way when they found out you know, they, got, uh, they were pregnant, that um, all of a sudden we've had to turn these stats around in our area about you know, our mums going full term uh, with their babies, which health-wise, which you'd understand, makes a big difference. Um, so you know, we've, had, we've had young people born into Deadly Choices, so they're now 10 years old, and they don't know any different. Um, so it's about that early intervention, and that's what we really worked on. So it's early intervention, so we got all these young kids that have come through the school system that have been around Deadly Choices now for 10 years and uh, it, it's, they know, that's all they know, you know, it's, mm. um, they know what it means to be healthy, uh, you know, what's the right thing, you know, we, we added into what the program healthy relationships with, with young people and, and how that looks and, you know, what is a healthy relationship. So uh, that's been fairly new brought into the Deadly Choices program but it, it's something that we see as a a bit of a priority uh, for the community, just like your general health. So I think I read something um, on the website around one of your aunties passed away earlier this year who was a bigger um, catalyst for the program. Oh, yeah. Uh, look, we had um, Annie Pam, ma'am, and um, so she was our, uh, you know, she was sort of our, our, our shining light, you know, one of the first nurses, um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander nurses, um, yeah, and only only Pam uh, passed, and she, and she was um, you know a big part of what we'd done, and obviously very important when we first started, and that was around the institute. So um, yeah, she was uh, sort of our our number one ticket holder, uh, you'd call, and uh, yeah, you know, and so you know it, it's just uh, uh, around you know those people, and that, that's where we recognise all of all of our elders who. They they fought for this way back, um, and you know my dad was one. He was he was there as well, and so they fought we where we are today. Uh, they had to fight for that um, back in the day. So um, that's why we're very appreciative, um, you know, of what we never forget that. Um, so um, us as an organisation, the Institute for Urban Indigenous Health, and we're built on that. So uh, they're sort of our principles, uh, and our our principles we tie into. Obviously, linking back to uh, you know traditional ways and, and cultural ways, and um, that's the way we operate. Um, so we never forget that. Uh, we have our own system of care through our clinics, and it's it's very unique as well. Um, so you know we talk about that, and it's it's not just a, a process line. We just get patients through, and you know get them in for a fifteen minutes and roll them out. So uh, it, it's a lot more detailed than that. And so the thing is, we we realise and that 
you know, there's a specific care that our people need. And, you know, we've got to have a sultry, uh, sorry, a, a culturally safe place where we bring them into too, which is our medical clinic. So, um, and we built that. That's all part of what we do. So, um, and historically, a lot of our people wouldn't go and get a health check or, or go to the doctor in general. Um, so, and that's a few of the questions we got asked earlier about why do we have Aboriginal-specific um, medical centres. I said, well... Um, you know, well, firstly, we couldn't believe someone asked that, but um, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, <laughs> and then we just go, well, look at what's happening. Um, you know, they, they, they'll come and they, they all feel great. They're not intimidated by it. Um, you know, I mean, anyone in general can get lost in our medical system, and that's nothing against our medical system because Australia's got one of the best in the world. Um, but for Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, um, and we've showed that through what we do in the institute and Deadly Choices. Uh, that we've got more than ever that many people coming through. I mean, I think we're not far off 40,000 patients just here in the southeast corner that uh, have gone through our clinics or, or that are, uh, you know, engaged by our medical centres. It's really just building that trust initially, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, once you've got that, word of mouth gets around. And... Without a doubt. And, and I say to people, you know, I get caught up in my own little world with, with my work and what I do, and I, I do other bit of work, for like corporates and that. So you sort of go, when you want to get back down to earth or, or back in touch, I, I just go and hang out at a medical centre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest, and, and, and a lot of the a lot of the other ambassadors say that they just love. You go, I'll go to the Gabba Clinic or, or wherever, and you sit there. And, um, sometimes it's just good to connect with everyone when they come through. Um, you sit down and have a cup of tea with the elders, and it's lovely. Yeah. So let's talk about um, bringing those medical centres together as part of the institute. Mm. How has that worked? So Yeah, so originally um, the idea came up, I think it was about 2009, um, and I, I think we might have formed in 2009, but we obviously we had the four medical centres. Uh, so we had Calwyn here on the Gold Coast, Yulibirubara at uh, Stradbroke Island, Aix Brisbane, which is at Wollongabba, and it's still there, um, and Cambu out at Ipswich. So... Um, they're all community-controlled um, Aboriginal medical services, uh, so they had their own active board. Um, so then we had to talk to them and just say, well, this is the plan, um, you know, uh, do you want to be a part of it? And, and we couldn't have done it without them. So um, we had to bring uh, those four together, uh, form another governing board, which came under the Institute for Urban Indigenous Health. They all have representation on, on the Institute's board, um, and then they just move forward, making the decisions get together. Um, and obviously that was around a lot of government's areas, you know, funding and administration, and, and I'll be very honest here, that, that needed to be looked at. Um, you know, this is 11, 12 years down the track, we go back, uh, that really needed to be looked at, and, um, and I, I think that was a big uh, reason why things did happen that way, and all of a sudden, you know, everything's running really well. You know, we're 11 years down the track, of the, of the institute and um, you know everything's going on really well we've we've grown that from four to 22 medical centers um, and when I say that the people and they sort of go oh you know you see their faces why and I said well uh, a lot of people don't know but the southeast corner of que southeast Queensland is the fastest growing indigenous population in the country mm. um, so we had to get the services out there for where our big populations of our people were were um, you know living what sort of challenges have you had in getting funding? Oh, look, I think um, it's, a, it's a little bit out of my realm, but um, obviously been involved from the start. We've been pretty good. The, the reason being, um, 
you know, look, my CEO will probably say different because he's at the forefront of all that. But uh, uh, I think what's happening quickly uh, for us, our growth, obviously. Um, so all along, you know, and I've I got to really got to give our CEO, Adrian Carson, a big rap here because we've grown so quickly. When you, you think about that. So we're an organisation started with four. Ten years later, 11 years later, we've got 22 medical centres. Um, we've got all this governance around all of that. And, um, and it has been a, a, a quick rise. And um, to having control that and operator in that um, says a lot about our leadership. Um, we do have some great leaders within the organisation. Adrian Carson's one of them, and there's many others. So without that, um, you, know, it, you know, I could sit here and say, oh, well, it just, it just happened. But I know that's not true. No. I know that's not true. So it's a, uh, uh, but to be a part of that is, a bit, you know, and you sort of, you get to a point, you go, oh, we just sort of, um, we're, we're at a point now where we're sort of looking at where we're going in the future um, um, because the population growth is growing. And, um, but yeah, look, there were, there were obviously different challenges with the, with the community, um, you know, bringing those four clinics together and, um, you know, representation and, you know, then we had to yeah, our our board for the institute. You know, it does they're not all indigenous people on the board, so there was a little bit of pushback there. But uh, we, we, you know, you build boards around expertise, and um, you know, you you got to have uh, you know a, a very diverse group, as you guys would appreciate, a diverse lot of people on your boards, and um, they bring their own uh, different skill uh, to that. And um, but I must admit. Uh, pretty happy where we are at the moment and um, you know it's just about taking check now and see where we're going to be in another 10 years um, so and that is happening so you know the, the thing is we have it's been such a, a, a juggernaut of a, a, a organisation really uh, but you know we're very happy where we are at the moment. Yeah experiencing phenomenal growth yeah. and um, yeah as you've said it presents its own challenges when you yeah. scale so quickly. Yeah, it does, and it's just about all you know. Where do, what, what becomes a priority here? And obviously, the community is always our priority. That's why deadly choices are so important to us. It's our community engagement tool. Um, so that's always our priority. But, the, but then, where you know, with with our services and um, you know, and what you know, where do we go now? Mental healths are really ramping up. Mm. Um, you know, and that, that that was a time thing for us to to. To grab a hold of other, uh, you know, uh, issues within in the community, and um, you know, we we you know we've um, partnered over the years with with Movember and and organisations like that, and you know, so we uh, we make sure. This is what I always say to people: if we want to go into an area, and really, the thing is, we we will do it when we know it times right, or we know we have the capacity to deliver. Mm. So we'll never go in short on something. Yeah. Um, and that's why it might take a little bit longer, uh, but that's the way our governance system's set up. Uh, yeah. we, we don't want to go into one area and go, oh, that's going to fail because um, we just can't afford – you know, you just don't want to have that happen. Mm. And what sort of challenges and opportunities has COVID pre- um, presented? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because we, we just weren't sure like everyone else. And um, so I'd, I'd sort of uh, sat back at the start of that, um, you know, we're in isolation, and and then all of a sudden we started like we're, we're sitting here in your studio, and we've had this uh, overnight studio pop up. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so young Jackson Canuto, he's our producer and expert, 
Um, and out of that, I got my own uh, my own podcast. I was very happy with that. Welcome to the crew. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And uh, so, but yeah, so now we we've reached the community out of necessity. Um, so remembering that all our programs are interface with the community like this, one on one. You see them face to face, and that stopped. So then we know a lot of our mob are on um, Instagram, a lot are on Facebook. Facebook is massive. Um, and I don't have the stats here, but we, we keep track of, you know, um, you know, our Deadly Choice digital platforms and where we're at. And so Facebook's big for us. Um, so we go live Facebook or, or you know, um, so we do a lot of work around that. That's come out of COVID. And, and what's that, what that's done, um, we're, we're going to end up going from this, um, you know, semi-permanent, um, sorry, studio to a permanent one because... It's just the way you would go in your head, you know, with telehealth. And, um, so it's been great, to be honest. And I, I think that was the only – when you, you thought about it originally, you thought that was going to be a challenge because we couldn't interface with the community, but that was just another way. And the funny thing is we'll just keep doing that. Uh, we're back out in the community now uh, in different areas. Um, obviously, we have our schools program back up and running and, um, uh, you know, uh, obviously still adhering to the rules with the other programs. Uh, we had another program launched this year called – Late last year, uh, DC Fit. Um, so that was targeting 16 to 25 year olds, and uh, in the general community, but we noticed in our community that they were, we had programs all around that age group, that age um, um, group. So uh, it was all about them coming in and doing like station fitness, um, and it's it's not heavy fitness, obviously. Um, and once again, they're referred to the program through through our AMSs, and uh, they're just for young people to. Um, you know, feel like you know they they can you know be young and fit and and once again it's just getting that cohort of the community um, with healthy habits um, which sometimes like the, as I said in the greater community they can drop out of not our society but out of the the loop mm. of, of general life and that happens across the board so mm. we're making trying to keep them engaged yeah quite a vulnerable age group aren't they yeah it is um, you know and because it's just specific you know talking about in in a sporting term, um, rugby league, um, you, we'll have and the stories all the time about these young kids, 15, 16, 17, they're going to be big stars and they just get lost. And, you know, they'll leave school and then, bang, you don't see them again. And it's like, where do they go? You know, and sort of just get eaten up in... <laughs> so it, it, it's around keeping that young group engaged in their health and, and taking responsibility. And it's probably a safe space for them too. Well, it is, it is, you know, and... Um, it's good to see. So we've, we've taken that online as well. We took that online. So um, I had all the younger ambassadors actually do the physical work. I was just doing the commentary. So I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> Not out there showing them how it's done. <laughs> so that's up to the younger ambassadors. So in terms of your medical health practitioners, um, are there scholarships available to help the Aboriginal and Torres Strait oh, yeah, Islanders definitely. Yeah, get definitely. to that level? So we have... A, we have at all levels, we have traineeships coming in in varied areas, obviously, and um, we had a partnership with UQ. We now have a partnership, I think, with QUT. So we've always kept in contact with that education side of things. Um, so, yeah, when we, uh, so in any areas that anyone's interested in, uh, and we can offer it, and we do. So we'll start out, you know, with, um, you, know, with a, you know, if kids want to come in at, a, at that level of a traineeship, uh, just in Aboriginal health, it's a good way in, and, and we offer those. And, uh, you know, I think we're one of, if not the 
I hope I'm saying that right, but the biggest employer of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, definitely in Queensland, and I'm not sure in the country. So we make sure that's a big part of what we do. Um, so, yeah, and uh, we, we have some, as I said, once again, we have a lot of good people in those places that, that help deliver that for us. And um, so that was, that, that was really early on in the piece. So that's actually quite advanced these days. So, yeah, we have a lot coming through. And they're really good advocates for the program too, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, without a doubt. So, yeah, um, yeah and I, that was something that it's, it's not, you know, it is about health, but it's everything attached to that. Um, you know, we obviously, we want to have our people be healthy right through their life from, from birth to, you know, uh, to being an elder. And um, so we've built on that over the years. And, um, but it was great that we recognised around those employment opportunities um, and coming into the medical industry because we need more of our people in the medical industry. Yeah, it's so great to be able to give back to the community. We really love hearing stories yeah. like that. So in terms of your um, career with the Broncos, how have you found in terms of um, being a team player in sport and, um, you know, um, going through strong leadership in coaching and things mm. like that. How have you found some of those transferable skills taken across into the Institute for you? Yeah, look, I think it's about being a leader. You know, you might, you know I'm not a stand-up leader, but you become a leader um, uh, within you. It was like a transition through my rugby league career, the Broncos. So I started there when I was 17. I left there when I was uh, 29. So... All of a sudden, it got a bit scary for me because Wayne goes, I think it was about 26, he goes, oh, you're in the senior leadership group this year. I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be in there. <laughs> but you know what still I mean? there. <laughs> that, but you know what I mean? That's sort of it, used as an example. And then all of a sudden, you've got this responsibility. So then I'm, you're into, we're in the little special group. You make decisions around the team. I said, wow. You know, and I was, I was obviously just came through as a kid and I was happy where I was. And um, so... Just in the rugby league space, that happened, and then it happens like even with the institute and what we've done at Deadly Choices. So, um, being there at the start, same thing. When we first started, um, you do in your own right, whether you want to or not, you become a leader within the group. So, um, and as I said, having great leaders is the big thing for me. So, having Wayne Bennett um, and our board and our owners during that period from '88 through the '90s was amazing. Um, and it gives me goosebumps when I, I talk about those men but, um, and women that, uh, you know, the reason why Brisbane are where they are today is because we're their foundation. Um, and the same with the Institute, to be honest. And, um, you know, Annie Pam and, um, you know, Adrian Carson, Cindy Shannon, um, she was our first CEO. And um, so, you know, and that's held there. And I, I must admit, the thing is, someone who, a good leader, will put good people around them. And that's exactly what's happened. So, as I said, we've got a lot of good leaders within this organisation and, and that's why we're so successful. You're a dad of five. <laughs> Most of... Um, there's quite a few of your kids who've got diabetes yeah. as well. Yeah. And yeah. the work that your wife does in terms of... Yeah, my ex-wife. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> do you no, want us good. to edit that out? No, no, no. all good. I, I, that's, that's all good. A lot of people do that. So, yeah, so... We, have five the five of the kids have type one now diabetes so Sunny was di- she she got diagnosed the same age as me. I was twenty two she was twenty two last year she got diagnosed um, so the four boys uh, they were diagnosed um, when they were two and a half four 
nine. They were the first three boys. And then my eldest son, they were within 18 months of each other, actually, those three. It was a really scary period. <laughs> and then Sam, my eldest son, was, he was diagnosed when he was 16. Um, but they, they really, they were successful with it. And as I said, you mentioned, um, you know, my ex-wife, uh, we, we had a company together called Diabetes. So um, it was around products for, for, for uh, people with diabetes and uh, she still has that running. And uh, so the kids are really onto their diabetes and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they are in their own right good role models for other diabetics. And we still try to... Um, I've just gone back into diabetes. I've become the first ambassador for Australian um, Diabetes Educators Association, ADEA. Um, so that's very new. That only happened last week. Um, Congratulations. World Diabetes Day, <laughs> 4th of November. Um, so, yeah, I'm the f- first official ambassador. And the reason why I'd, I do that, because sh- through our journey with diabetes and a family with diabetes, diabetic educators are probably... Um, and the endocrinologists won't like me saying this, they're, they're, they're the most important point I find, or diabetic nurses, um, of your, tra- of your um, journey with diabetes, especially that initial, when you initially uh, diagnose, it, it, you believe it, you know, even though it's a condition, it's not terminal per se, but it's a condition you've got to live with the rest of your life. It's very scary, you know, for people when they're first diagnosed, and we know what that's like. So the people who made that really good for us or made it, you know, not as hard with diabetic educators. Mm, my mum's a diabetic and she got it when she was 35. Mm. I'm one of four kids and the same yeah. thing. So she had gestational diabetes with each yep. of us. And then okay. um, when she had my youngest sister, the same thing, it just stayed on and she's had it now for, you know, 35 years. And yeah. um yeah, she finds that the diabetes educators are actually more up to speed sometimes with the, um, you know, latest developments in... Well, yeah, latest developments, but that, that they did, that everyday care. So initially when you engage, most of the diabetes, you get their number, you can ring them. It's mm. amazing the service they, they give you. They gave us as a family, and when the kids were, of, um, you know, 15 at teens, uh, they were allowed to ring them directly um, and talk to them about you know, I would need something here or uh, this isn't working. And so they, the service they offer is amazing. Mm, how great is that? We just yeah. to need to extend that to mental health, don't we? Well, yeah, you know, it's, um, it, it, it is. It's just about having those organisations like ADA put their hand up. Um, and this year is obviously the year of the nurse. So we celebrated on World Diabetes Day um, last week, that, um, you know, the nurses, the diabetic nurses, and how, what the important role they play, and and I'm very honest about that. When I went into, you usually go in the hospital when you're first diagnosed, and um, you spend the night in there. And uh, my diabetic nurse at the time was amazing. So, in terms of um, the institute, are there grand plans to become a national organisation? Yeah, well, if you, the title is. Urban. <laughs> Look, uh, the institute is obviously responsible for uh, health care, Indigenous health care delivery within the southeast corner. Um, and that's why Deadly Choice is such a, an important tool or program for us because we do have a national footprint with that. Um, so, you know, we're, we're in the Northern Territory, Alice Springs, well, in Northern Territory. Um, uh, we're in Adelaide, we're in um, Victoria, South, uh, New South Wales. Um, we're not in WA as of yet, um, but there's you know, been chats around that. Um, so I think it'll be more deadly choices. Um, 
you know, and we, we have other things like our system of care, um, which is very unique uh, in the way we deliver that. So um, we look forward to, to more hear more about that. And so I, I think it'd be more around deadly choices, um, you know, which, which we are already, um, you know, do have a bit of a national footprint. And do you find there's a common thread in terms of um, medical problems within um, your community? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Chronic disease, obviously, um, you know, diabetes is, is massive um, and, and heart disease. So a lot of the chronic diseases, um, you know, and that's what we say, the, what the, the Institute and our programs bring um, and I can say this confidently, just I mentioned our work at Out program for our elders. Well, we had people come into that program who've had, you know, varied conditions over the whether it be alcoholism, you know, not drinking anymore, but has had a stroke. Um, I can guarantee you by being part of that program for, um, you know, they'll possibly be part of that program for seven, seven possibly years or, or, or the like that um, we've extended their life. Through that, I can say that confidently, um, because the lifestyle they they came from um, is totally different under, um, say, our work at our program. Because all of a sudden they've been a lot more active. They're in a gym, believe it or not. You know, in a gym, you know, not pushing the big heavy weights, but just moving. And you know, they had that social emotional interaction. That's massive. You talk about mental health. That's 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 a that's a real big thing within our programs. Is that is being together. Um, and when you, um, you know, a lot, lot of the our, um, you know, our community that come into our programs, you know, there's varied levels of mental health within the groups as well. So um, that being together um, and coming together, that is, it's huge. Um, so that we we hold a lot on that around, you know, that emotional side of things, and and our people love being together. To be honest, you know, it's it's it's, it's about getting together and always say, you know, we go, you know, if we go to a medical centre, you always find a new cousin there somewhere or an auntie. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about culture. Um, you know, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander community is the poster child for culture. What sort of things could organisations be learning from you guys in terms of um, developing a stronger culture within their Well, it's just about how you engage. I mean, I'll talk about non-Indigenous um, organisations and it's about how you engage. So I, I do other work um, around reconciliation action plans and, uh, you know, some people over the years have boo-hooed them and saying that people just tick, organisations just ticking a box. Well, not if the organisation has made a real commitment, they're not. And, and I'll only get involved with it companies that do, organisations. Um, so, you know, I, I do a bit of work for Digital Health Australia and we just launched ours um, the other week in, in ADOT week. Now, I can guarantee you that the people involved in our working group sincerely want to deliver what we have put out there uh, in, condu- in partnership with Re- Reconciliation Australia. And so look at them. It doesn't necessarily have to be a wrap either. I mean, but if you commit, um, it, it's... Um, so, it needs to be done from the top, I believe. So the organisations I have been involved with, it's been from the CEO down. So um, once the CEO makes a commitment, um, that commits the whole comp- or the whole organisation. And I must admit the, the Digital Health Agency um, has done that. Um, you know, I, I did the same for Horizon Rail and Freight back in the day and 
um, they're very much on board and, you know, they've done their second one. I helped them deliver the second one and then, then um, they went with it themselves. And uh, so, you know, organisations who are, um, you know, well, fair income about it, mm. um, you know, I think that's a great way to go. So NADOC week last week, what was your contribution to NADOC week? Oh, we uh, so NADOC week was it was it was fairly busy. We 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 did a big push through digital health because um, uh, I sit on one of the committees for the My Health Record, um, and we find that the My Health Record and digital health going forward, obviously as we just seen in COVID, it's going to be very very important for health delivery across the country. Um, so uh, we launched that. Um, you know we. Uh, obviously did a lot of online, did a lot of uh, interviews last week. I reckon pushing 40, I'm talking 40 wow. uh, radio interviews across the country. So in the last two, in the last two weeks. Sorry, in the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And it's just been huge. So, um, you know, and, and it, I, I think that's what it's about, is about sharing that. And, and it's really good with the stations, you know, remote communities um, that I was talking to and, how I think they get it, but it's about us assisting them about the connectivity and how that's going to work and what it means to them. So what, what does digital health mean to uh, someone in a nice, up, in, up in Kawanyama or something like that? So, and that's where it comes back to the organisation about, well, this is a journey you've got to come on with us because um, you know, it's going to benefit the community in the long run and it's going to benefit the whole country. Um, but a lot of the work I've been doing has been specifically with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities um, by delivering that through their, their radio stations. And um, uh, we, ha- we have a lot of other work happening um, around the country, you know, Communities Excellence Program, which is uh, East Arnhem Land, Port Hedland, Emerald here in Queensland. And uh, so they're just models we're going to have around the country where we can show people within a community it'll work. So in terms of, um, obviously, diversity is still a... Um, big on the agenda in terms of boards for Australian companies. Mm. How can, um, you know, and gender was a big yeah. ticket item for a long time and now that that's sort of, sort of in some areas pushing 30%, how can um, boards get more diversity around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander representation on boards? Is there some sort of um, register of um, directors or a platform yeah, that you kind of marry sure those Sure, they're out there. Up? The way I, I... So I co-chair the, one of that federal committee, the Medicine Safety Committee, mm. um, and that was really just... Mine was through connection, but it's about, you know, possibly someone like me going and say, look, you can do... You know, it's, you know, once you're on a board, it's quite... You learn very quickly... Um, I was very um, when I went on board, so I co-chaired it with with you know GPs and specialists, and I, I sort of my first first uh, meeting, I was like, wow, what am I doing here? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was there representing consumers, which is everyone in the country. So I, I then realised what I, my actual role was there, um, and that brings a, a different range. And then all of a sudden, oh well, oh he's Aboriginal man, so then you get that side of me. Um, so I think there's that uniqueness, and you can say, you know, say to people, if you, you know, try and get on boards. And um, I, I don't know the general, but obviously there's the state government boards as well, and you can go on a registry there. Um, I'm sure federal government does have a a, a registry as well. Um, uh, so yeah, so you know, and I sit on one committee for the state government as well. That's through skills and training, though. And um, so there are opportunities there, and, and I think 
um, you know, governments are realising that. Um, you know, you bring a unique um, part to, to, to a committee. Um, so even outside of that, you know, not, not being a chair, but being on a committee, I mean, um, it, it's great um, that if, if somehow we can get a lot more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on, because there's some, you know, believe it or not, there's some smart ones out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, a portion of our population. Yeah, I know, you know what I mean? I was being yeah, sarcastic, yeah. but yeah. yes, <laughs> it, it's really something that um, I think organisations need to look at. Yeah, and look, everybody brings something unique to the table. Yes. And I think, like you've just said, a lot of people you know, feel that, oh, maybe I'm not good enough to contribute yeah. here or... But really, people just need to um, be heard for what they do have to bring to the table and... Yeah, and, and yeah, and, you know, I, I must admit, I, when I first had my meeting coming up, which I think... Oh, no, it was actually here in Brizzy, which was good, because you... <laughs> and I thought, oh, I don't think travel to Sydney or Canberra or... But anyway, <laughs> uh, it was here in Brizzy, but it, it's, it, it's one of those things when you... A penny drops when you're there, so... And saying that to people who are looking at doing that, um, yes, it, I think it's a bit scary at the start, but um, it doesn't take long to then realise why you're there mm. um, and then, you know, open your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Go your hardest. And, like, we're big catalysts for diversity is so much more than gender. It's age. It's, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, different um, religions and different ethnicities yes. and um, just so much more than just gender. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And um, I, I think um, I, I must say the, the state government and their committees, and they, they, they're very good with it, especially with um, diversity. Um, so, in, and obviously in different areas, they look at that um, here in Queensland. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that gets mirrored across, the, across Australia, but then it comes down to the big corporates. I mean, you know, around, you know, I mean, we just look at what's happened in, with Rio Tinto. Not this, I'm not bringing on a negative here, but, um, you know, did they have a representative on their board that that maybe not would have happened? Mm. Um, you know what I mean? So yeah. just... Yeah, things like that. Yeah, um, thinking outside of the box yeah. too. Mm. Yeah, know? it is. Um, corporations have progressed a lot, a lot in the last fifty years. You know, with digital disruption and technology, and so many different, um, you know, ethical investment opportunities. And mm. so, with all of that growth, that you do need a different change in mindset around the board table to oh. be seeing these opportunities. Yeah, without a doubt. And just look at the year we've had, and what's come out of this year. So. That's a lot of that, everything that happened during COVID and what's happened, I'll say, I'll say directly what happened in America, comes, but it's all around diversity, it's all around culture and um, so there's a lot to learn out of this year mm. and, you know, and, and as I say, some of those corporates could, you know, learn from that. Yeah, well, the Black Lives Matter yeah, yeah. and so, all of that as yeah, well exactly. has happened. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's around representation and, um, you know, and just having that, you know, within your organisation. Well, you go. No, I was going to say, you're, just a, you're an amazing ambassador. Oh, yeah. thank you. Well, thank and truly, you. it's, yeah. it's just oh, been an absolute <laughs> pleasure for you to come on our show. So before we wrap up today, is there any sort of top three things that you'd like to leave our listeners with uh, about the campaign or the work that you do? Yeah, look, um, the, yeah, the, look the work that we do, obviously, we're very proud of that. Um, early choice, 10 years. I keep saying that, 10 years, but it, we had no idea when this, this all started uh, that we're 10 years down the track, you know, we'd... We'd have close to a full national footprint with the program. Um, so, uh, you know, it's worthwhile people um, looking at... Have a, have a look. Jump on our website, um, Deadly Choices website, uh, the Institute, because um, a lot of people don't know that 
and I say we're just a program, but we're a program that was born out of the Institute and, and you know, hop online and have a look at our structure and exactly what we deliver uh, for our people through our 21, 22 medical centres uh, we have here in the southeast corner. And the website is? Yeah, www. I think that's it. <laughs> uh, deadlychoices.org.au uh, and uh, obviously iuih.org.au. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us, Steve. Thanks, no worries. James. Thank you. That's all for today. Until next time, happy podcasting. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, check out our other episodes and all things governance at www.3wiseowls.com.au.